You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcast. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows Trio programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. In this episode, we have Don Blue Sky Hill, who is the director for the Trio Student Support Services Program at the University of New Mexico. Don will share her experiences growing up, what motivated her to be in education, and the obstacles and challenges she faced while in college. It was really good to catch up with Don. Uh, we go way back. I was in service of the Trio New Mexico programs when I was a uh, a director for the Eastern New Mexico University Upward Bound Program and for the coordinator for the very program. But my involvement with uh, Trio New Mexico stretches from my early years as a professional and a Don, always the present voice and being that consistent strength for Trio New Mexico. It was just a, a joy to always have her there. And she has a lot of experience to share. And I think her story, along with her experience as being a director, would resonate with a lot of our audience. So in a moment, Dawn Blue Sky Hill. If you would ever like to be featured on Let's Talk Trio, please send us a message on Facebook. You can search for us on the search bar, look for Let's Talk Trio, and send us a direct message. This pandemic has had me reflect on a lot of the work that we're doing with this podcast and how fortunate we are to be able to still meet and have our guests on the program, um, even through Zoom meetings, Skype meetings, Microsoft Teams. Uh, we're making it work, and I'm really appreciative of, of the team that is able to put all this together, and especially to our guests who are able to accommodate and join us on video conference. Remember, you can now donate to, through Patreon or Kickstarter to Let's Talk Trio. We do have a monthly maintenance fee and our staff is already covering it on our own, uh, but it would be really nice to upgrade equipment, get new uh, a new sound system for our recordings, uh, subscribe to a video conferencing tool to allow our guests to call in or video conference in with no fees on them. And ultimately our, our and I think I've said this in every podcast episode, we really want to travel in September to go to the COE uh, annual conference to network and meet as many directors, program uh, specialists, people that are involved with TRIO and get to hear their stories as well. Uh, and we want to be able to do a live broadcast at Washington, D.C. while we're talking to a variety of uh, administrators, 
people that are advocating for TRIO, uh, even uh, students that might be present. So hopefully that you, you'll join us in that endeavor. Uh, donate to Kickstarter, donate to Patreon. It's all going toward those efforts for us to be able to attend this annual conference and also to cover a lot of the costs associated to maintaining a podcast. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. guest for the Let's Talk Trio podcast has worked in promoting higher education since 1994. She identifies as half Cochiti Pueblo and half Salish in the Confederated Salish and Kutani tribes of the Flathead Nation. She is married with three kids, a husband, two birds, and a dog. In her undergraduate years, held a position as a work-study student and her job was working with at-risk high school population and assisted with the FAFSA, ACT prep, college tours, and college applications. She serves as the University of New Mexico Wellness Ambassador, serves as a chapter advisor for the fraternity Beta, Beta Theta Pi, is part of the TRIO New Mexico organization as, and has held positions as secretary, president-elect, president, past president, and also uh, does committee chairs for bylaws, spring conference, TRIO Day, and social, the social media team. My guest has also attained a master's in public administration at the University of New Mexico and has also attained her bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology from the University of New Mexico. Please welcome Don Blue Sky Hill to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Don, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It is so great to catch up with you. We were talking a little bit before the podcast and even before you, we were inviting you in that you really wanted to be on the podcast to talk about you and your experiences and the students that you serve. Um, I left New Mexico a long time ago, uh, almost four years ago. How have you been since? <laughs> since I've been okay. Um, just part of my, my role, I think I always want to stay connected with TRIO New Mexico, which is a really kind of a good outlet to connect with other TRIO professionals from across the state. So I don't feel so lonely with when I'm uh, participating with TRIO New Mexico. Yeah, that's very cool. The I know that the initial plan was to have the podcast at the spring conference. I think we were talking about that. Uh, and then uh, the plan kind of fell to the wayside with the current events that's happening with uh, COVID-19 and the virus spreading. Um, that would have been a great experience. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the TRIO New Mexico and the spring conference? Well, um, annually, the TRIO New Mexico association has a spring conference and we put it on for all the professionals who are part of trio new mexico so that ranges all the way from um, the directors of the program to the advisors to the outreach staff to the administrative staff and in some cases accountants um, all of it is in part to help support all the trio new mexico programs um, but by providing professional development and then also that kind of camaraderie that we have set kind of between our program. So, for example, I'm very able to just pick up the phone and contact my SSS counterpart over at New Mexico State University. 
or I call them up at CNM and kind of say, hey, I've got this going on, what's, what's your thoughts? It's very nice that ha to have um, someone with similar um, program background to kind of, uh, you know, bounce ideas off and, you know, just get some ideas from. Yeah, so it sounds like this networking opportunity is really great. Uh, our audience, though, really wants to get to know you and some of what you are about, the person behind the SSS program. Uh, so what are your interests and what are some of your hobbies, Don? Uh, I think one of my uh, I think primary hobbies at this point has been um, working out with my, I call it my, my circuit sisters at UNM. Mm -hmm. So during the noon noontime hour, we used to have a circuit class as part of our staff benefits. And so at noontime, I joined a bunch of other ladies and gentlemen. Um, they had a trainer for us and they would teach us how to, how to learn how to use the machines, do different uh, workouts. Uh, so we do workouts of the day or Tabata style. I guess it just depends on who is the trainer. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a really nice way to break up my day, um, help me break out and decompress. And then it's kind of, it was a nice way to also have that networking on campus with other people who, you know, also wanted to work out and they're all UNM employees. Right on. Uh, I know, I know that you also have a connection with uh, Yuridia Leva, who was on the podcast not too long ago. Uh, so she was speaking very highly of you. <laughs> She's awesome. So yeah, Yuri's actually, um, she used to be one of my SSS students. Um, and then she jumped up a layer, she leveled up, and then she became a SSS peer coach. So she worked with students, I hired her on board, she was one of my staff, and then she graduated. And then she went on to her master's program at UNM. So we still stay connected. Um, I definitely, um, worked with her had her help on different events that we had um she was able to uh we had some students who were taking statistics and we knew she was teaching that class so we're like if you're going to take statistics you need to sign up with yuri um she provided extra instructions for students like you know just kind of what that they do for office hours but we told our students like if you need any help go see yuri because she's like the perfect person so she's helped on a number of levels so that's one of the ways and then she also helped us um when we were looking up applications for students to be part of our program kind of the application process she helped out kind of sifting and sorting and reading applications um and then i guess a nice the i guess the carrot or i'll say the carrot but the the thing on the top is um Yuri was part of the circuit sisters so she oh, right, was part right of my circuit class. So it's really nice. I get she's almost, well, when we were at UNM, I got to see her just about every week. Um, and it was really nice to kind of keep in contact with her as she kind of moves through her professional work over on the North Campus, which is her in the UNM hospital clinic health sciences side. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So it sounds like family that either the extended family and, and family in general is super important to you. What do you and your family enjoy doing? You've mentioned you, you have a, a quite a big family. Well, um, I think now that we're transitioning to our working remotely, um, and also trying to instill and keep that workout stuff happening. Um, I'm going to have to say the some of the circuit sisters have, we have a, um, a listserv, not listserv, uh, well, I guess on email listserv and they put out like different workouts for the day. 
Um, I think as of today, I've only got to do one. Mm. So I need to get back on track with them. Um, I see their comments and stuff. Um, but it is nice that they actually put like a list out of you to challenges for you to do that day. So that's kind of nice. That's really cool. Um, but on my family side, um, one of the things I've been doing lately is really encouraging my family to go walking. Um, and we were very careful about like not going to parks that are too big in terms of like having lots of people there. Um, if we see lots of people, like we, we literally like walk off the trail and then come back on. Um, we're just make, we're just taking, you know, that six feet away very seriously, but we also still want to do some sort of, some sort of exercise. So we do for our, we go for more, our afternoon walks or morning walks and try right to on. keep things going that way. That's awesome. So you have a very engaging social media. I have the honor of being part of, uh, to follow you on Snap and to follow you on Facebook and you also have an Instagram, all very engaging. Um, do you engage a lot of in social media? Like do you advertise uh, your stories and, and things that you do? Um, I try to do it anonymously. Um, so I'm uh, for Trio New Mexico. I'm on the social media um, I guess branch and help them out there. So I do help monitor what goes up on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, so like when there's big things, big trends or big news um, that affects that I think affects the whole entire state, I will definitely pop information up on, fa on Facebook. Um, on the SSS side, um, I monitor our Facebook, our Instagram. Um, we used to have Snap, but I've um, we kind of let that go. We pretty much only use Snap during our recruitment phase in the summertime, and I usually have students take over that. Yeah. Um, but as far as the year-round stuff goes, um, I've learned that when I ask students to help me, unless I hire them to do it specifically, um, because of their own schedules, it seems to be sporadic, and I also get a little nervous of what they're going to put. Uh -huh. And because it represents the university and it represents you and um, our, our own program. So I, I really want to make sure I monitor that really well. Um, I get a little nervous with that. Yeah. But overall, um, I try to do it from the point of view from just, just straight information. Um, and I think now that we're working remotely, um, we're hoping to do a couple more student highlights to kind of keep it going um, and keep, the, um, the engagement, I guess, on our social media, you know, keep it common, keep it fresh. Um, I think the storylines are what catch people's attention. Absolutely. So we have you to thank for sharing the Let's Talk Trio podcast on the Trio New Mexico Facebook. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I thought that, you know, everyone in Trio New Mexico should be aware that there's this podcast out there. Um, I don't know if you know, but... Um, on Facebook, there's an SSS Directors Facebook um, and then an SSS Directors nationally. And on the Directors site, I added your, your podcast. Oh, thank you. We're, we appreciate <laughs> that so much. Thank you, Don. <laughs> it is a closed site, so I, uh, but I, we'll let you know I, I did pop it in there. And after um, I get some more information from you, I can keep kind of sending up information and putting it there for all the oh, directors to see. That would be amazing. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. So Don, let, let, I really wanted to start at the beginning with you, your origin stories. What was it like growing up for you and how did you get into this path? So really, let's go to the beginning for you. Um, well, I think part of the beginning is, has a lot to do with um, 
my my mom and my dad and how I was raised. Um, so I was born in California. At about the age of two or three, we moved back to Kochti, Um And that's essentially where I was raised from that age. So my mom is Salish from Montana. So as part of being a new member to Kochiti, um, she didn't know the language and the traditions are very different from the Plains Indians. So my mom had to kind of do a lot of learning in there. Um, but I was brought up as, as much as possible within the coach tea traditions and, and also the culture and you know, everything that goes with that. Um, as far as like my personal background, um, I really attribute like my, my sense of giving or my sense of caring to my mom. My mom had a very unique upbringing and kind of shared that with us as we grew up. So our house used to be at the very end of the road, leaving Coach de Pueblo. And for whatever reason, we used to always get these stray animals. Like people would drop off their litter of puppies or oh, wow. dogs. Uh -huh. um, so my mom would always, um, you know, she, she, as the caregiver, she'd, she'd get the dogs or uh, little puppies and scoop them up and she'd make like this makeshift shelter for them. So all growing up, we always had dogs. Um, <laughs> and part of it was like my mom's like wanting to care for them and make sure that they were okay and, and making sure that they had a good home to go to. So um, that was part of it. And then I think the rest of it was like my mom always had animals so we're always wow. taking care of different animals and we were in charge of you know feeding i was in charge of the cats and mm -hmm. you know, there's certain pets i had a i had a dachshund i was in charge of oh him. really um so there's always been kind of that nurturing sense about what we do and what kind of is interesting about that and i think my brother and my sisters got that sense too so my sister's a house high school counselor uh, my other sister is a director for the New Mexico Income Support Division. And then my brother is a high school teacher. And on the side, he also does natural resources and animal protection kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So wow. it, in a nutshell, I mean, we're, all of our professions are about caring for others. Wow. So this caring for others and kind of forming a community with people, that's sounds like really important to you yeah it definitely has been um one I, I like i said i think that attributes back to my mom and how we were raised in that sense of you just take care of others i think part of that is also our pueblo tradition um we're very community minded you take care of the pueblo um you take care of your elders your little ones if the little ones are out with you you're responsible for them automatically Mm -hmm. Any little one that's out there, not, not just necessarily your family, but like cousins and, you know, it doesn't just stop at your house. So oh. I think that's part of, I guess, how I grew up and who I am and why I am. Yeah. Well, that's really important. I think that's uh, definitely something that when you value it and you hold on to it, it's, it's super valuable. Um, so who or what inspired you to go to college? What, what led to that path? Um, well, it's kind of interesting. My, both my mom and my dad had met at Haskell College. Um, and I would say, I don't think it was called Haskell College. It might have been Haskell Botech 
or something back then. Mm -hmm. So my mom got a business certificate and then my dad did something with electrical stuff. Um, so with that, those backgrounds, you know, they, they hit the job market and um, my dad ended up working as a postman. My mom was doing like office stuff and which was kind of odd, um, I think, for like being the 1970s and for my mom to be working. Mm -hmm. um, kind of unusual. Um, but my mom worked. She was like, I'm going to work. And that was her. So a lot of my other upbringing was with my grandma. I was very fortunate to grow up with a grandma. Um, man, I was so spoiled. You know how grandmas <laughs> do. <laughs> I got whatever I wanted. And yeah. Um, and I was the first grandchild. So that, that was, for me, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, talking about education and the importance of it at that time, I think in the mid seventies at Cochiti, um, the talk about going to higher education became like a very um, prominent thing. So my mom and my dad were like, you know, you're going to go to college. No choice. No choice. Um, so th this no was, choice. they were, they were mandating you or requiring oh, you to yeah. go to college. It was not an option to do anything else. So mm. um, part of that whole process was just kind of like, okay, like I didn't know any, I didn't know any better. <laughs> I didn't know I could say no. Um, so I ended up, um, you know, joining different clubs and different activities as a young person, mm -hmm. like middle school, I joined, um, I think I was in the Girl Scouts. Um, there was also the clubs like basketball and cross country. So my mom and dad always pushed me to kind of join those things. And I did, and I had always had their full, um, their full like blessings to do these things. So I always jumped into them. And then, um, you know, talking about college, when I got to like middle school, I had an opportunity to um, go to a summer program in Colorado with a program called ACES. That was, um, Gosh, it was like the mid 80s, I think, or early 80s. Um, so back then, ACES was a smaller organization. Like when I see ACES now, it is really national. Um, it's American Indian Science and Engineering Society. Mm. So I think I had gone to one of their very first summer camps. And I think I was going into my ninth grade year, I think eighth grade, something like that. When I was really young, um, that was like my first time um, going alone on an airplane to oh, Denver. Wow. Yeah. Um, but kind of, after, you know, starting with that, um, that's just one of them. Um, I also got to do a, a program at UNM mm -hmm. and it was with the Air Force. It was called A-Fight. Mm -hmm. Air Force something something but I, that was one of my first times to actually stay at the dorms at UNM um, so the, those couple of experiences and then after that you know I, I took every chance like I think I got you know how people get the travel bug yeah I think I yeah. had the bug to join different programs so I could travel to different places and go see different things so yeah I was in Mesa and I got to travel to Florida with them um, I think that one might have been um, Mesa's first, um, I don't know, trans transcontinent uh, trip for all their students, and it was a ragtag group. 
(laughs) (laughs) But I think just kind of um, getting immersed with these different college programs or different programs talking about the benefits of going to college, I think it, and then coupled with my parents and, you know, their, um, their prodding, um, I think I don't, I don't think I had any other choice yeah. but to go to college. <laughs> in a good I, way. In a good yeah, way, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, were, you had a lot of support from your parents. You had the encouragement from uh, the faculty that you went to high school with that encouraged you to go to these science programs. Um, as you went through high school, there must have been some thoughts forming in your head about what does college look like? Did you know at that point what colleges you wanted to attend? Oh, no. I was bad. I was terrible. Um, I wish I had, I wish I had like a program like Upper Bound Mm. that would have given me a better understanding of what I was doing. Um, So people were telling me, go do your FAFSA. So like a good person, I went to go do my FAFSA. and I just understood that it was for financial aid for college, but I didn't know it entailed work study. And I didn't, I didn't check the box. Um, and then it also had in there where like, you have to pick these colleges you want it to go to. So I was like, I wasn't even thinking what was a good college for me. I wasn't even thinking what has a good program for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking what were the costs. Um, I just wish I had a little bit more direction on that point. Um, I really think my parents kind of just hope for the best. I don't know if they could help me any further than what they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, my, my, the reason I, and I went to New Mexico Tech for my first semester. And the reason I chose New Mexico Tech is terrible. Um, the only reason I went there is because one of my high school friends, because we had gone to a summer program at New Mexico Tech the summer prior. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> she put me down as her roommate. Oh. That was <laughs> the main reason why I went to New Mexico Tech. Because I was like, well, she already put me down. I'm like, I can't get out of this. Yeah, so now you had to, it felt like you were committed to New Mexico Tech. <clears throat> so I was committed because she put me as her roommate. That's like the worst reason ever. <laughs> Um, I didn't like it. Mm. Um, I mean, initially, I guess I liked it enough for a summer program, but my idea of college was not that tech was really, if it was really small, it was smaller than my high school. Mm -hmm. So with just with that small experience, I only stayed there for five months and the spring semester came. I'm like, I need to go back to UNM. Yeah. So I ended up going to UNM and then I ended up losing some scholarships that I had had if I had gone to UNM at first. So mm-hmm. I, I would have the, um, a presidential scholarship and I didn't, I didn't get it back. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But one of the things, but um, I had other scholarships to kind of help me out along the way. Yeah. Um, but that's how I really got to UNM was um, the small size of New Mexico Tech I did not like. Okay. Um, and I really didn't have a choice of your curriculum mm-hmm. because there's, there's not enough students to have like a vast array of classes. Yeah. Um, so, and that was just my idea of what college was. So mm-hmm. I transferred over to UNM in the springtime and that was kind of um, 
<laughs> going from one extreme to the other. <laughs> but it was closer to home. Um, I was able to live at home that semester. Maybe I, maybe I just wanted to get back home as part of it. But it was nice to um, be back with my family, um, have their support. But part of the, the, the difficulty was that semester was driving back and forth. Um, and then I hear this from many other of my current students right now is at home, there's no place to study. Mm. So I had my room, but you know how you try to reserve your room for your solitude? Yeah. Yeah. Your sleep space. Mm -hmm. um, so I was trying to do homework or do the reading and then that wasn't working. Then I'd go back to the kitchen table and then the TV's there. My brothers and sisters were there and it was just too much commotion. Um, so that was proving difficult. So I ended up staying a lot of the time at UNM at the library mm -hmm. or at the student centers. And yeah, that was really difficult. Yeah. But I can only that, imagine. I, yeah. After that, I moved to Albuquerque. So it okay. kind of worked itself out. <laughs> right on. Well, that's kind of how I got to UNM. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's amazing. I think that those college experiences, right? So for you, discovering your college wasn't a junior senior decision. This was, this is, I, I graduated high school. I went to a, a different school. Then I had to transfer to UNM to really find the school that I really wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a very unique experience. Can you tell us about your experiences, uh, your experience at UNM? Um, well, at UNM, I'll, I'll kind of leave with my last um, comment. So I was having to go back and forth and I was at home. Um, and I was finding myself staying at the library a lot. So one of the funny things, you know, as a first gen student, you know, I was coming home, it took me about an hour to drive home. I'd leave, like sometimes I leave Zimmerman library at like nine or 10 at night. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get home, you know, late. So my mom would ask me like, you know, what are you doing out so late? And um, she goes, libraries don't open that late. Libraries mm -hmm. close at five, and I'm like, no, they close. This is they close like at at that point in time. Uh, Zimmerman used to be a 24/7 library. Oh wow! Um, and I to prove to her, I had to bring my um a, a schedule of Zimmerman library hours, and I'm like, see, mom, oh, wow. you know, I'm I, I'm legitimately here, and library is open, and she's like, what could you be doing that whole time? And I'm like, mom, and I got lots of reading and homework and. And then she'd say, why can't you do that at home? Oh. So there was, there was a constant uh, tug and pull there for that semester, um, which is why after that semester, I moved to Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that, that really speaks to our next question. It's a great segue about what cultural shifts were you experiencing? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, well, that's definitely one of them is that, you know, coming from a first-generation home, um, you know, I had my parents on one hand encouraging me to go to college and then the, on the other, you know, questioning where I am during the daytime. And, you know, they see my class schedule and I, I don't know what back then, I probably had 12 hours. I don't remember. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing the, my class schedule and my mom was like, you're free after three o'clock, you know, why don't you come home? And I was like, mom, that's the good time for me to do my homework. <laughs> So, um, or, or she knew she would see my schedule like, oh, you're free after, you know, your lab. Um, why don't you go pick up some groceries? And, and I'm like, mom, like I got these things to do. And it was becoming kind of a, a battle. Sure, um, sure. Well, like at UNM, um, I think part of my connection back to campus was joining 
um, or just kind of getting connected with student groups, mm -hmm. um, student mm -hmm. clubs, um, definitely the student services. So I was very fortunate at that time at, at American Indian Student Services. I knew the lady through um, another person. Um, she knew my family. So it was very welcoming to, for me to go to the center. She knew me. Um, I felt like she took care of me. Um, so that was very helpful. And then after that, <clears throat> my mom would tell me, um, oh, there's this lady, Loretta. She works at UNM. I don't know what she does, but she works there. Mm -hmm. You should find her. And I'm like, mom, you know how many people work here at UNM? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it's huge. Um, I ended up finding her, and she worked at the Native American Studies office. So um, when I found her there, you know, that was another kind of connection. She was from Cochiti. Um, um, I just dropped in to say hi, and I would sometimes have lunch at their center, and then I would, you know, make friends there. So a lot of it was networking and mm -hmm. getting um, tied into the campus with just the clubs and organizations that I was able to at that point in time. Um, so I think that was a little bit more of my idea of what college was. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I appreciated that a little bit better. And then I also appreciated that when I um, got to UNM and I opened up their catalog, their class schedule, oh my gosh, it was a book. Yeah, yeah. At, at New Mexico Tech, it was like two pages front and back. That's mm. it. <laughs> so the, it was a huge difference in all these choices I had. And, um, and at some instance, it was overwhelming because I didn't know what to pick. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very fortunate. Like I said, I had a couple of different staff there who were kind of saying, hey, you should take this. Or did you think about this? Why don't you do this? So I'm like, okay. So they were very helpful. Yeah. Um, at UNM, it wasn't until my junior year that I got a work-study job on campus. So um, in the previous semesters, I had a job at the Corps of Engineers at Coach T. Lake. Um, as like my side job. And then I found this job at UNM called, uh, it was working with minority recruitment and retention. Mm -hmm. So with that program, they hooked me up as a recruiter and my schools were at risk schools. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of started kind of dipping into working with students on FAFSA, college applications, campus tours, mm -hmm. and like ACT prep and stuff. So that's kind of how I kind of got into, I guess, the field of higher education yeah. from UNM. But it really stemmed from my work-study job. So that was very, very much your intro. <clears throat> it was. Um, and that was an, as an undergrad. So that was really nice because, you know, you make friends in your work-study job. Um, and I'm still, I still have a couple of friends from that group, you know, as of today. So it's really nice to, to say that, yeah, it was very impactful on yeah. me. Very cool. In my career. And you've had a, a, quite a list of accomplishments and experiences. What put you on the path to education? Uh, what finally resulted you in saying, you know what, this is, this is the direction I want to head? Well, for my uh, working with um, the at-risk populations, one of my schools was called or was at YDI, and that was the Youth Development Incorporated GED program. So, as part of my work-study job, I would go to the GED program and I'd work with the students on um, just applications to UNM or CNM um, and then helping them fill out the FAFSA. So for about a 
maybe about a year, semester-wise a year. Soon as, gosh, it might have been like around April, one of the directors I called me up because he was my one of this grant and we need to run it and so I told totally interested want to graduate and I'm supposed to say can you hold the job <laughs> he said I'm willing to hold job for so I took the job and what the job was a position very similar to what I was doing. I was being direct with their classes because they had mm. classes at I think six to eight different area high schools and they were called um, gosh I don't remember they're just called YDI classes uh -huh. they had a name for them um, so my job was as a rover I would go to these different high schools um, let me try to remember some of them. So it was Valley, Albuquerque High, Highland, Rio Grande, Los Lunes, and Del Norte. Mm, okay. So I got a chance to kind of work with these schools and their counseling offices and work with students who were in the YDI classes. And we got to do captain's tours again. We did FAFSA stuff. Um, you know, just kind of the stuff I was doing already. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just kind of at these different high schools. So that was part of what I did there. Okay. So that's kind of how I got my, my foot in the door and working in, with students and getting them towards higher education. Um, and that's just kind of a, it's just kind of a weird way that it landed that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so did, did this path ultimately lead you to TRIO? Yeah, so after YDI, I went to another organization called Futures for Children, and this one was working directly with Native American students, very mm -hmm. doing the same thing, um, steering students to um, higher education. Um, from there, I launched over to UNM, and at UNM is where I found um, an advertising, and it basically said, um, will help students do FAFSA, help students um, get into a higher education program, um, they're at-risk students. Um, it talked about first generation. And then it said um, keeping a group together and setting up a program. And my experiences at the two previous employers, they both gave me that. So as I'm reading this um, advertising for the uh, position, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it totally just, like, fits me. Mm -hmm. It was, like, written for me. Yeah. Um, so I applied for the position and I'm very fortunate I got the position at UNM. So that was in 2001. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. And can you talk to us about uh, that foot in the door? You said that you were transitioning, that the, this eventually led you to, to TRIO. Can you talk us, to us about the Student Support Services Program, about the students that you serve and the services you provide? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of funny when I took the position back in 2001, uh, UNM didn't have the SSS program mm -hmm. as it exists today. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of funny. The first day on the job, um, I'm like, okay, like, where's my office? Where's the staff? Um, and she, 
there was Debbie Banis King. She handed me a a booklet of paper. It was the grant proposal. Oh my gosh, yeah. She handed me the proposal and said, "Here's your program." <laughs> wow. You need to start it up. <laughs> oh my and gosh. And I was like, I was like what? <laughs> wait a minute. I was like, so I don't have an office. She said, no. I said, so I don't have a staff. She said, no. And I was <laughs> oh like, my okay. <laughs> so you were starting from scratch. So literal scratch. Wow. Existed. Yeah. Um, I'm so very grateful for the, the networking um, of Trio New Mexico because at these Trio conferences, I was able to connect with um, Roland Salas at New Mexico Highlands University. He was an SSS director. I was able to connect with um, Nico, I think it's Cameron? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At ENMU, she was an SSS director. Um, I was able to connect with the SSS um, director at NMSU. She was also new, it was Maureen, I think, Giddings. Mm. Um, so there was a couple different um, SSS directors that really helped me out because starting from scratch, it, you know, I don't even know where I'd be. Um, so Roland and Nico, you know, I was on the phone with them all the time. Yeah. You know, what does this mean? Um, can you give me samples? Can you give me copies? Um, you know, I even have an application. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so part of the, um, that whole process was going to these different trio trainings for new directors, um, the legislation and um, Regulations and legislation uh, trainings were extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. um, since there was really nobody on the UNM campus who had the experience with the TRIO program as it is now, um, I took it upon myself and I kind of just dug my heels and I said, you know what? No one on campus knows this stuff. You're going to have to become the master of this information mm -hmm. and... That's what I did. That's what I, you know, I just kind of told myself, like, you know, you just got to do this. You got to learn this stuff inside and out. Absolutely. You need to be the master of this information. So absolutely. that was my personal challenge. Um, mm -hmm. So any training that I could get a hold of, I was there. Um, I networked at those trainings. I swapped emails. Um, I asked for samples of applications and whatnot to kind of give me ideas of make, making sure I'm on the right path. Absolutely. So with all of that, I got to know what the SSS program was supposed to be out be about. Mm -hmm. So what we what we do and what we serve, um, what we do is we assist students to help them persist in college and graduate with their bachelor's degree. The students that we're serving are going to be typically two thirds of our group will be low income. And there's a trio chart that we have to follow, but that's a trio um, low-income guidelines. Mm -hmm. They're first generation, meaning that neither parent has gone to college or has a bachelor's degree, like they've earned it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is the student may have a documented disability. Um, but we do help students or take students into our program who may meet one of those criteria. Um, they can meet all three, um, but predominantly they're going to meet that the criteria that they're both first gen and they're low income. So that is the majority of the group that you serve. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So what drew you to serve first generation students? Um, I think part of it is just kind of, you know, my role in, in 
as a work study in college, I was working with at-risk students. Um, at that point, I definitely could see, you know, when you're working, when you're doing the FAFSA documents with students, you see the family's income. Um, I think for me as a young professional, that was an eye-opener, um, seeing individuals' um, incomes extremely low. And, mm -hmm. and then here I am touting that, yeah, you can go to college, and then there's this big tuition cost at the end. But trying to also show the students to, that we can work it out. You know, let's look at this. If you get the FAFSA, there's the Pell, and it's this amount. And if you're going to live at home, you're going to save this much. So kind of showing the students the reality of going to college, and it is doable. Um, you know, we just have to kind of look at a couple of things and talk things out. But Absolutely. it is doable. Absolutely. Do you have a memorable moment with the Student Support Services Program? <clears throat> Oh my God, Juan, there are so many. <laughs> there are so many. Um, a couple that stick out or maybe three? You want the bad ones or the good ones? <laughs> the best ones are the, even the bad ones that provide a little bit of experience, right? <laughs> <clears throat> um, well, one of my good ones, um, you know, when you get students who walk through your door, um, you're at a point where you're asking them to trust you. Um, yeah. you know, trust me with your FAFSA. Yeah. Trust me with your income documents. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you have issues, let me know. So it's, you come to a point where you, you build that, um, rapport with the students. Um, gosh, I've had several instances, but in one in particular, um, and you know, she's not the main one that I build at. Um, I, but I have, <laughs> had, you know, there are some students where, you get a feel for how you should best address them in certain mm -hmm. situations. Um, I had one, um, gosh, she was so close of losing her lottery scholarship. Um, you know, she came into my office, you know, and I, I knew where she was financially. I knew her situation with her family. And I had to have that tough love conversation with her. Mm -hmm. And almost yell at her. Not yell. I would say yell at her. I was very stern. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw potential. Mm -hmm. She had potential. Um, and I told her, like, if you don't have this scholarship, and I wrote it, we calculate. I showed her. I calculated it all out. I'm like, if you don't get the lottery, you're gonna potentially lose this many thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what got to her part of the conversation was. Um, so what happens if you don't get the scholarship? What mm -hmm. happens to you? Tell me what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And it was working with her mom cleaning rooms, cleaning houses. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you, can you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? For the next five years, ten years. And, and she's like, well, I can do that. I'm like, do you really honestly want me to believe that you're, you're going to be happy doing that for the rest of your life? And know so we talked it out we hashed it out um there was tears yeah and i said you need to do this you need to drop your working hours we need to you know we make we worked out a plan um and then got everything kind of organized and i said i can't do any of this for you you have to do this for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i asked her to come back again and i said okay what did you decide so she told me her plan and 
she stuck with it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just oh. one. Um, one of many, huh? One of many. And I, I think one of the nice, um, I don't really think that students think much of it, but one of the nice things for me is when a student comes in and they, they're at graduation and they bring their parent to me. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, this is Dawn, or this is the lady that helped me. This is Miss. Yeah. Um, I think having that introduction, it really means a lot to me because I think that at that point, the students trust me to enough to kind of say, hey, mom, this is the person that helped me at UNM. Yeah. That's so I think that that's a very, uh, it's one of those things where you say it fills up your, your cup, your soul cup. Yeah. That's definitely one of, you know, parents coming down the hallway and the students kind of bringing them. I'm like, I'm like all right. <clears throat> that's amazing. Nice. That's amazing. So network with, with the alum sounds like it's important that you're, you're keeping in constant contact with your alumni as well. Do former students return to student support services to give back? Yes. Um, it's kind of funny. Every now and again, I'll get this like random student that um, no appointment. <laughs> they just like come on in. Mm-hmm. I hear a knock on the door and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what are you doing here? They're like, I just came to UNM and I have to stop by to see if you're still here. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even, <laughs> I don't even know you were coming by. Or, um, it was kind of like with Yuri seeing her at the circuit class. When she came by, I'm like, all right, there's Yuri. I know Yuri. Um, yeah. We have had like students, uh, like definitely during, during winter breaks, I would say more students stop by. Um, sometimes randomly, I just get an email. Um, it's kind of funny. I was not going to be a part of the LinkedIn uh, group. Uh-huh. But then um, I kept getting these emails like, hey, this, this person wants to get a hold of you through LinkedIn. I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I was like, okay. I guess that's another way to remain connected to alumni. So I leave my LinkedIn open um, so I can connect that way. Um, and sometimes it's um, some students need like job references or mm-hmm. other references for whatever mm-hmm. else they're doing. So that's a way for them to kind of stay connected with me. Yeah. Um, I found that I have a lot of students connected by Facebook. Yeah. And they find me there. So I'll, I, if they, if they want to friend me, you know, I leave it to that as their choice. Like I'm not going to um, pressure them, but sometimes when I am looking for certain students and I just kind of look up their name, I'm like, aha. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, at a national level, how involved are you in advocating for TRIO programs? Um, on the national level, uh-huh. um, well, uh-huh. as, the, uh, as, a former, as a former president of TRIO New Mexico, I was able to sit on the regional board, which is called the Southwest Association for Student Assistance Programs. So as a board member for SWASAP, um, I got to you know, communicate and work with a lot of different individuals um, from, um, let me me go through the states. So it's New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Oh, wow. So so with these states, I was, you know, it's really nice to kind of work with the leadership of those 
states with mm -hmm. their TRIO programs, mm -hmm. and then also getting that connection with the Council for Opportunity and Education, which is the national kind of advocacy office for TRIO. Mm -hmm. um, so working with SWASAP on their group, um, I, was very, I was very fortunate to kind of see the inner workings of that leadership model. And then, um, and well, one of the, um, so that's working with the model there and they're trying to copy that and use that model here at New Mexico to make sure our program is as much as we can make it, um, mm -hmm. you know, being as professional, having that structure as much as possible here. But working with SWASAP, one of the, the nice pieces was working with the National Alumni Association um, and trying to build the SWASAP alumni base. Um, and then also working with the SWASAP conference, which is a conference that does professional development for all the TRIO programs in all these states. So working on that level um, really kind of opened my eyes to a different level of organization. Uh -huh. um, but it really has helped me kind of uh, make connections with other um, staff and different um, professionals from across the United States. So that's a really, um, really fascinating, like, leadership group. And it was a great opportunity to kind of, um, you know, just grow professionally. Yeah. Yeah. A couple more questions and we're about to wrap up on the podcast, but uh, being a director for a trio program must be very fulfilling. Is there a next step for you? Is there something else coming up after this? Um, well, on the next step, you know, with the trio programs, with SSS programs, our programs are on a five year grant cycle. And 2020, August 2020, our current grant cycle runs up and we run out of time. Uh -huh. So we at UNM have put in additional um, applications for upcoming grants. So uh -huh. we hope that we'll get um, at least one or two SSS programs in the near future. I'm very hopeful. Um, down the road, I don't even know if I thought of what could be in the future for me. Um, on the, I guess on the side note, I have thought about, you know, what opportunities does UNM have that I can take advantage of? And one of them that I can, you know, that pops out at me is going for a master's in American Indian Student Studies. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Another possibility would be higher education leadership program. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part. Thought I guess half thought I had was the counseling program at UNM, but mm -hmm. that would be counseling at the high school level. Yeah. I don't know if I could handle high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, with with being a staff at UNM, I have access to these um, programs. So, you know, those are a couple of things I've been kind of like looking at. Um, we'll kind of see where that goes. Um, yeah. But at least I do have options. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Don, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It is such an honor to have you as a, have a director who advocates for TRIO programs and has a, such a passion to serve. Do you have any words of wisdom to current students or staff members? Um, current words of wisdom to a student, you know, keep persisting. Once you have an access in, keep going forward. Um, do not let one obstacle stop you. Find a way around it. There are ways around it. You need to just ask different questions. Ask different people for help. Don't be too humble to ask for help. There are different ways to do things. 
Um, as a trio professional, um, I've got a couple new professional staff on my my area. Um, what I'm encouraging them to do is to learn about the trio programs, and I'm having them do a trio training called Trio 101 mm -hmm. with with the COE. Um, they offer these free trainings, and then also um, just kind of getting to know the history of trio programs. Um, it kind of will give you a better sense of our mission mm -hmm. because we are a program that started in the um, kind of born out of the civil rights era and we're continuing that legacy in our own way but it's still on the same premise we are still looking for um, equal access to higher education absolutely fantastic Don thank you so much for being on the podcast we hope to have you again in the podcast in the future Thank you. Thank you again. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. We had a wonderful time talking with Don. That was a great episode. For me, it was good to catch up with someone who has been involved with TRIO for a long time and continues to be a great advocate for students. It was just a, a, very, a good way to reminisce and go back to uh, a reflection period of how that person came to be in TRIO and ultimately um, lead the TRIO programs uh, as it stands right now. Again, I want to thank our donors. Uh, first off, a huge thank you to Student Access for continuing to support the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. We appreciate you so much. And thank you for continuing to sponsor us. To you, our listeners, thank you so much for being a great audience and being very patient with our uploading schedule. I know that it's kind of wonky at the moment. Uh, we were, for March, we really had a great schedule set up where we would be able to uh, do these recordings consistently. Unfortunately, with the pandemic happening, that threw our schedule way off. So we are now catching up. We're beginning to crank out episodes. We're going to release them all as they become available. A special thanks to the podcast team for Let's Talk Trio, Amelia Castaneda, our producer and marketing manager, John Russell, our audio engineer and in-house musician, Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Honorary members for Let's Talk Trio include Scott Kendall, Roderick Chambers, and Tony Ho. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.